we are recording. Welcome everybody to Sharpen That Axe, episode number 44, I want to say. 44? Jeez, is it 44? Like, I know. It's, it, I think that's officially middle-aged, so. It's midlife crisis, it's going to go out and buy a surfboard like my dad. Um, <laughs> but was that a fast could surf? It's, it's no, he, going to buy a surfboard, it's going to go out and buy like two more Les Pauls. That's it. Yeah, that's that's it. And not tell it's what his wife how much they cost. Um, well, we're really giving our, our podcast a personality here, aren't we? And um, welcome everybody. Uh, we have a great episode in store for you today. I know that because you've recorded most of it already. Um, I can tell you that. Um, so my, my, my name is Dylan Murphy. Um, I am recording from uh, with my nifty little headset from my girlfriend's parents spare room which i have turned into an office because yes i am that cool uh, in dreary galway john when I, where are you what are you doing what are you eating i am i am sitting in my office at work so at my studio i guess you could call it so my office studio it looks you, like a real like man cave style office yeah i mean i can't i suppose i can give you a view of what the inside of my office looks like here i can confirm our, that there our, are guitars our listeners will not be able to see because well you're listeners and not viewers at least not yet anyway so not yet we're, yeah. we've got the scientists working on it um so john it is my turn for lick of the week this week and i was trying to think of a like you know you know when you hear a song and you just can't get it out of your head for weeks so i picked one of those licks more of a riff i would say no. for this week's selection it's gonna be like know. perry's oh sherry or something John, I'm too Irish to know what that is. Who's Steve Perry is? The lead singer from Journey. Oh, no, it's not that. Okay. <laughs> the guy who got replaced by the guy they found on YouTube? Oh, no, that was, that was another guy. So Steve Perry was the original one. And then they got another guy named Steve to replace Steve Perry. And then, oh, no. the, then they, they found a Taiwanese guy. Or, or To be honest, I don't know if he's Taiwanese or... Filipino. Filipino? Was that it? Okay. Yeah. Well, sorry if I offended any of our Taiwanese or Filipino listeners. I just couldn't remember this guy's name. There's some, we just lost a massive well. chunk yeah. of our fans there. Um, so, hit, hit it. <laughs> okay, here we go. As a side note, did you clear out the folder then? Yes. Okay, it's the only one in there. Got it. <laughs> Man, it has a bit of that like strokes feel to it. That lo fi garage rock. Yeah, Queens of the Stone Age vibe, maybe. Like early Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, not the new stuff they're putting out, but. Uh, Don't get me started on that stuff. Um, yes, it is a bit past the early 2000s, bit, a bit later than the early 2000s, sort of cool New York strokes uh, lo fi rock explosion. It's a bit later. Okay, um, man, I I think you got me on that one. Like I've got I've got no idea. Okay, so it is uh, a lot of people could say it is the White Stripes. It's not. It's the Black Keys, the other uh, color color of band. Of course. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, that makes total sense. Got it. Got that it. Is, I got I got mine. I remember seeing a cover band doing that uh, when I was in college. Like, what is that riff? And just asking around for ages, trying to find out what it was. And yeah, Black Keys, great band, good, cool, you know, hip, plaid, fuzzy guitars. Yeah, good stuff. I really like them. Nice riffs. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Good stuff. Sweet as. So it's time for Gear Talk. Gear Talk. Formerly Pedal Talk, when we ran out of pedals. Um, so <laughs> Well, we'll never run out of pedals. We just need no. to broaden the... Broaden the scope of things, because there's so many things to talk about. Yes, yes, there are, and we need to branch out a little bit more. So um, we were we were wondering about what to do. We were like, oh, who could we? We were thinking about talking about an artist, and we might do that next week. But this week, John suggested pickups, and it, it, it dawned on me that we've never spoken about pickups before no. on the podcast. So we were like, let's pick up on that. Um, well, I see what uh, you did there. I had to, I had to, I had to put one in there. That's so, why you're the humor guy. 
Apparently so, and that's why you're the guitar guy, so you can tell us about pickups. So, John, I I don't very, I remember listening. Uh, my first experience with noticing that there are different pickups was me getting like a Strat style guitar, one of my first guitars, and just wondering why can't I get a Metallica sound out of it? <laughs> you know, I didn't know I what a humbucker was. was there at some point. Yeah. 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 So, and I remember reading an uh, issue of Total Guitar Magazine, and there were, a guy wrote in with exactly the same question, and the uh, the editor was basically said, "You need a humbucker." So that brings us into the whole thing: single coils, humbuckers. How many types of pickups are there? Uh, so first off, like, what is a pickup? That's that's kind Let's of start with that. Yeah. That um, maybe some of our listeners know you you may not know just like hey it's the thing that makes the sound but really what it is it's a magnet and the crazy thing is is it magnetizes the strings and so what happens is that magnetic field that the magnet creates when you pluck a string it causes a disturbance in the field which sends a signal then through that disturbance you send it via the cable to the amplifier and that's how it works so that is the short and dirty version. Of course, you can always Google it and get a little bit more info on it. But Nicely the, summed up there, John. The difference, yeah, I, I mean, you don't want to get too technical with it because, I don't know, for most of us, it's probably boring. But the, the difference between a single coil and a humbucker, so single coils were the first ones that were made. Um, and if you've ever seen a picture of a pickup outside of your guitar, it's got that uh, copper coil wrapped around it and the single coil the problem is is because of the way it's made it creates this 60 cycle hum and yeah. so when you crank the amp a little bit you get this buzz at 60 hertz and this is kind of low-end sound and it's kind of annoying sometimes when you're just trying to get a nice clean tone they don't do it as much anymore uh you can still get them that do if you somehow incorporate that hum if you want it or if you don't but whatever you can get that you, you can get single coil pickups that are less susceptible to it now because they want you to tweak them but because of that <clears throat> you essentially had somebody like les paul for example who said hey that 60 cycle hum's really annoying how do we cancel it? Well, just like any magnet, it has poles on it. So a north and a south pole. So the humbucker takes a second pickup and you flip the polarity on it so that the south matches the north on the other one and the north matches the south and they cancel each other out. And oh. then it cancels out that 60 cycle hum. And that's where the humbuckers, the name itself comes from. Now a humbucker, because it's got two, tend to be a higher output. Yeah. So, and that's that's the very basic part of it. Higher output just means that it's going to be more sensitive and you're just going to be able to drive more signal through it. And when you do that, of course, that's where <clears throat> the the tone stages or the, the preamp stage on your amp, everything kind of breaks up a little bit more there. And that's where you get your overdrive from. Yeah, the gain. Hence the Metallica versus the Stevie Ray Vaughan sound. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So we've got single coils. If you could describe like what makes a single coil so good for the genres that it's used for, like maybe funk or, you know, it's often used for, I don't know, it's, it's used for like Texas blues and stuff like that. Yeah, most I think it, typically speaking, your single coils have a little bit brighter tone to them. Um, that's just, that's because usually the humbucker is wired to be higher output and to have punchier mids. It's not that you can't have punchy mids with a single coil, but because you don't have that sep that next coil to it, you're just not, you're not pushing through that. But typically what you're looking for in a single coil is something that's got crisp highs. Um, your lows are present, but they're not muddy and something that kind of can cut through with the mids and give you a nice clean tone. So for me, I, when I'm usually thinking clean tones, depending upon what it is, it's typically you want that traditional sparkly, shimmery sound. Yeah. And that's going to be something you'll find in a telly or a Strat usually, whereas if you want kind of a warmer clean tone, that's going to be something like think Les Paul, Paul Reed Smith, and their neck pickup that goes in yeah. there. So, yeah. Yeah, those are those are kind of big things, and of course, 
you have active and you have passive pickups. Okay, so that was my next question. Okay. So can you can you just I was trying to a friend of mine asked me about what's the difference and I'm like, geez, I've never actually owned a guitar where I've had to really know the difference. So if you could talk me through them a little bit. Is one yeah. battery powered? Yeah, so the difference between them, obviously a passive pickup means that it works independently of a battery. And one of the great things about a passive pickup is just its dynamic response. So you can use a passive pickup and slowly bring up the volume on it, and it's going to change a lot in how it sounds. And you, when you've got the volume down, you get a very distinct signal. The sweep on an active pickup is much less. The output is higher. The other thing with a, an active pickup is there's fewer wraps of that wire because you don't need as much copper wire to go around it. And what that means is, is that gives you, with the power, you can still have a higher output. And essentially it functions as like a preamp as well. So a passive pickup is gonna be more sensitive to things like the type of wood, the wood grains, et cetera. Whereas an active pickup, you could stick in anything and probably make it sound decent because the active preamp essentially, or the active pickup essentially functions as a preamp for you. So you can shape your tune accordingly. Okay. Um, yeah, and essentially it just, it allows you the, to, to push the signal. Typically, those are going to be hotter pickups anyway, but the downside is you just, you don't get the same sweep of response. It tends to activate pretty quick. In other words, the, um, the sound of it is, is picked up on really quick and there's not a whole lot of, if you turn the volume down, it's going to sound kind of the same, just a little bit quieter. So the okay. response is going to be significantly different than an active pickup. Essentially, if you want a passive pickup or if you want a big sweep in things, then passive is going to be the answer for you. If on the other hand, the active pickups, which have typically have a whole lot more clarity, but like I said, less dynamic range. But if you're at 10 at all, all on 10 all the time on your guitar, active can be a good way to go. And that can be single coil. So I have a Steve Lukather model that is single, single hump, but they're all EMGs and they work great. You know, I can get great shimmering clean tones out of that neck pickup. And then when I need to like dig in a little bit, the bridge pickup is right there. It's a EMG 85, which is great for kind of hard rock sounds. It's not really like your hardcore metal sound, no, uh, yeah. but it does, it gets, it gets crunchy and it's big and it's a, it's good for it, you know, but that's, that's kind of a brief overview of the difference between active and passive. My sir has passive, um, you know, and those are kind of the two main electric guitars that I use, which is funny yeah. because one of them is active and the other is passive, but it just kind of depends upon the response I'm trying to get out of each guitar. Okay. Uh, well, uh, before, well, we might come back to this another day. This is, this is great. I just have one question. Like th there are other types though as well. I mean, these are the two most popular types, but you've also got like P90s. Uh, I have a, a Epiphone Riviera, which has like three P90s. Um, oh, crazy. Yeah. I, I, Bought it off a junkie, long story. And uh, <laughs> for like a steal, of course, he probably stole it. And, uh, but it's, it's a gorgeous guitar and it's, it's really, really, it's really, really hot. Like P90s are great. They do one thing yeah. really, really well. Um, but what about, what else other types are there and what would they be used for? I know the Dan Electros have really like, is it lipstick kind of? Yeah. So, yeah. And of course the lipstick pickups in a, in a telly as well. And yeah. some of that is just down to sound. The P90 is an interesting one because it's designed, it is actually a single coil. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the way it's made, it was designed to combat that 60 cycle hump. So it's a little okay. bit earlier. This is, it predates the Les Paul humbucker, you know, it's a Alnico yeah. and that's the other thing. So you also have Alnico versus ceramic and ceramic, you can get good ceramic pickups and they have distinct tones with them as well. Whereas Alnico is aluminum. Let's see if I can remember aluminum, nickel and cobalt. And that's where it comes from. It's not like a brand or anything. It's just the alloy that goes. Oh, okay. So you have right. different alloys, but most pickups now are uh 
like an Almaco five, which is a particular, I, I, I honestly don't know what the difference is, just like how they sound. Um, but yeah, so the P90 is, is, it's still a single coil pickup and it was developed in the early 20th century, I think like 1940s or something like that, mid 1940s. But it's designed essentially to combat that uh, that 60 cycle hum and just kind of, but it produces, it's a very different tone than a Fender pickup um, or uh, even a humbucker. So it's this kind of weird middle ground. Tends to be like kind of, I, I think anyway, tends to be a little bit bitey in the mid range. But has a has a good sound to it, and it's it's very it's different anyway. Class, okay, cool. This has been great. I have one more question. Yes. What yes. does coil tap mean? Okay, so coil tapping is when you take a humbucker and you um you, you can add a switch or a push pull pod or something like that. Yeah. And you, it refers to essentially tying another a another wire onto your humbucker or your humbucker may come with that extra wire to allow that push pull. And what it does is it splits it from a or from a humbucker to a single coil. There is actually a difference. I said splits, which is technically incorrect because there's a difference between splitting and coil tapping. Yeah. Um, but that is essentially what it what it is. So if you've got two coils and the tap, uh, it produces a lower output, and that's that's essentially what what it does. So, okay, cool. Yeah. That was I just I, I remember you mentioning it before, and I, you know, nodded and smiled, and I was like, oh, cool. But I had no idea what you're. Yeah, doing. I have a coil tap on my sir. Yeah, on your sir, which is yeah a, a gorgeous guitar. Um, so class. The intro anyway. to pickups, everybody. There, there yeah. you have it. So, uh, John, how the hell did we get Greg Howe on the podcast? Um, a miracle. <laughs> so yeah, we, yeah. Actually, we just uh, we just reached out to him, and his agent got back to us and said, "Hey, seems like a good fit. Let's do that." And yeah, that was. It's funny because things like this, everybody that we've reached out to, it's just been. Like, hey, let's just let's just reach out to them and see what we can do, you know. And it's been great because we've had so many guests who've just been really great about it. You know, they'd never heard of us before, but some of them will go and listen to it. And like, yeah, it seems like seems like a good fit. So that's been, yeah, that's. It, I think it's been great. And essentially, my take on it is, if you never ask, you never know. So exactly, yeah. So you know, we're gonna. I, I don't know. It really gave us a, a boost in the arm, like a shot in the arm, uh, confidence-wise. And for friends who don't know Greg Howe, so I'm gonna, well, let's just say a little bit about him. So he was kind of part of the the '80s wave of shred. His first album came out in 1988, mm. and he was kind of like uh, not riding on the back of Van Halen or stuff, but he was able to have a career as a musician essentially because. Uh, the 80s was a big period of like playing fast and playing this kind of music. Um, he was you know, pretty inspired by Van Halen and Jason Becker and play, you know, players like that. Um, but he does like the whole jazz fusion thing as well. Mm-hmm. And he He's also... Sort of like uh, a palatable Frank Gambale. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, uh, no, that's that's a really good way of saying it. Cause, Don't get me wrong. Loads of respect no. for Frank Gambale, but sometimes he goes down those routes where I'm just like, I can't follow you there, man. So. Yeah, this is this is too too far um, down the rabbit hole, uh, the Gambale hole. Um, so he became a session player essentially after that. Uh, after he he's launched a good few solo albums. It's just he's so cool and he's so fast yet tasteful, and it's so class but looking at his discography and play, people that he's played with like he he played with michael jackson he took over for jennifer batten when she left and he played on michael jackson's history album he was this like the session guitar player for like nsync and christina aguilera and rihanna and um, he toured, toured with justin, a bunch of them as well yeah toured with justin timberlake um and now he's playing with protocol which is simon phillips who plays with toto it's it's his new band i think yeah, Seven Phillips has done several protocol things, but yeah, this is 
Greg Howe's been with him, I think, the last 10 years or the last two albums, whatever. Oh, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, just an absolutely amazing career. Like, honestly, if I had known Greg Howe was playing with Justin Timberlake, I would have paid to go see Justin Timberlake. That's it. It's like, uh, you know, Batman Mostly Corp just so I could see Greg Howe. Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> uh, those songs are catchy. Um, cool. So uh, also a little bit of framing. I'm going to give a little bit of background on this episode. Um, we recorded this while I was in Cambodia um, the morning after my friend's 30th birthday party. And um, I was a wee bit hungover and we got the times wrong. So oh after I'm much so delay, that. no, that's okay. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I, I shouldn't, shouldn't drink rum. Um, so ended no, up in a, in a cafe in Siem Reap in Cambodia, trying to get the best place for an internet connection. Thought I'd found some place and they turned on a fountain. So that completely drowned out my sound. So while you're listening to this, I'd like you to picture uh, me bouncing back and forth around a Canadian, a Cambodian, not Canadian, Cambodian cafe trying to get a good signal. Um, this is, we're going to split this into two parts because Greg was just a, a wealth of information, like really, really cool. And we just kind of let him do his thing. Yeah, he was absolutely fantastic. I, I just thought it was, uh, it was, he was super kind, which was awesome. Uh, he also said to us a couple of times, like, wow, you guys ask great questions. It's like, ooh, hey, thanks, Greg. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a great interview. I hope you guys enjoy this being part one of the Sharpen That Axe interview with Greg Howe. I'd like this right there. That's that's amazing. Um, <laughs> cool. So, John, will we just get this started? Do you know how to how to get the recording working and everything? Yep, yep. We are recording as we speak. So. Excellent. So, Greg, welcome to uh, Sharpen That Axe, episode 40-something. I'm not too sure which one this will be. Um, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, what, what are you up to these days? Well, just got off tour. Um, I did, did a lot of touring this past year with my thing, and with I joined a band called Protocol with Simon Phillips. Right, of course. Cool. Yeah, so we did a lot of touring, and we actually just got off about maybe a week and a half ago. Right. Amazing. So I, yeah, so I've been relaxing and uh, kind of preparing for uh, the next venture, which right now looks like it's going to be this instructional video that I've been threatening to put out for years, but I'm really doing it this time because I, I, uh, I have a great window of opportunity finally, so um, hopefully I'll have that done before May, which is when we go back out again. Excellent. So we're a podcast that does a lot of talking about practice and just kind of getting better and improving so do you mind mm -hmm. giving us a little sneak preview of what that instructional video is going to look like is it similar to the one you did years and years ago for what was it reh yeah it's about as far from that as you can get so whatever, <laughs> whatever that is it's the other it's the other thing it's the other direction okay now, super it's going to it's going to be heavy exactly it's heavily rooted in um it's going to be about music, you know. It's going to be about uh, trying to express yourself and, and, you know, having a mindset that that is, you know, rooted in trying to move people. Um, we've all, we all have YouTube. We all see the technical proficiency that exists in the world. There are people doing amazing things on the fretboard, but ultimately, um, you know, what is it all for if we're not trying to? affect people if we're not trying to make people at least that it is for me you know for me i uh you know that there are things that i've learned over the years that that um i find are much more that can be very powerful much more powerful than than anything you could get out of just practicing some crazy lick for six months straight you know what i'm saying yeah absolutely. um and and, I, and i'm not that's not to say that there won't be technique oriented things in it. There will be. And there's a lot of things that I do a lot differently today. Uh, a lot of approaches I have to just executing notes that are a lot different than they were back then. But, um, you know, the, the focus is not going to be so much about that as it, as it is why I would want to execute notes these, this particular way and why I feel that it's more musical or what, it, what the music, what the musical, um, uh, uh, value is in in these types of newer techniques that I'm using. Okay, man, that sounds amazing. That sounds, sounds that sounds great. And you, you said you hope to have that cool. done by May. Who are you doing it with? I'm going to try to release that on my own because um, 
obviously it's a better deal for me. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. You know, sure. but um, that's the new, you know, that's the new world we live in where it's, it's interesting when you get, you get offers from record labels now and you get these offers from video companies and you start doing the math and you start saying, well, you know, 7% of wholesale and you're advancing me this much and, you know, if I just put this out on my own uh, and I get the whole cut, it doesn't seem to, I'm not sure what the incentive is for having another company put it out, you know, unless uh, unless they have something real special to offer in terms of promotion and and uh, and or right. PR type of thing, you know. That makes a lot of sense. Good business sense. Okay. Good business sense. Yeah, I think these days it's important to try to have some of that. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us so, a little bit about just the, the tour, how that went, uh, your your new album that came out in August, right? It was August. And, yep, uh, came out. We actually released it officially September 1st, but we released it, um, we made it available to the public for those people that came to see the tour in August, right. so yes. Yeah, so August, and then, and then like you said, you were on tour with Protocol as well. Um, and right. yeah, just kind of curious how all that went for you and... and, and what you see that as kind of the next step in terms of your your gigging and your playing as well. Yeah, well, it's it, everything went amazing. I mean, I could Super. not have been more thrilled. Uh, I hadn't toured the States with my own thing in a long, long time, years right. since the 90s. And, you know, you just don't know what has gone on. I don't, you know, for all I know, no one's going to show up. I, what do I know? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so, so we did do um, a lot of heavy... Facebook promotion and a lot of the boosting of events and, and, you know, spreading the word and getting it out there as much as possible, getting as much hype about the fact that the new album is coming out. But still, you never know what you're going to run into. So about a month before the tour kicked off, we started getting a lot of feedback from some of the clubs that things were starting to look like they were getting close to sold out. Oh, wow. And... So I, that was exciting because, we went, wow, well, this is good news. You know, people know, people are paying attention, and I guess people are still interested. So this is this is a good sign. And then oh, when man, the that's awesome. yeah, when the tour went, uh, it was it was amazing. I mean, it really was. We huge crowds everywhere. We had at least I would say 60, 50 to sixty percent of the shows were sold out. And the one and many of the ones that weren't were you know 15, 20 tickets shy of that. So um, I was I could not have been happier. Um, Awesome. And it was it's just success on every level. Anyway, you know, the great crowds, the music was great. You know, playing with Stu Ham was really fun. Um, everything, you know, everything just kind of fell into place. It was really, I've been on a few tours, and this was probably the smoothest, most, you know, just uh, problem-free kind of tour I'd ever been on. So that, that was exciting. That's really saying something considering the people you've toured with. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, touring is not easy because, man, you know how it is. Uh, you start getting these different personalities together, and no matter how cool people are, sometimes, sometimes things clash. Sometimes people aren't. Sometimes people just aren't compatible, no matter how cool they are. And when you when you have that in a uh, situation where it's it's you're in close quarters, you're traveling together, you're next to each other all the time, you're, you know. The chemistry, the, the mix has to be the right people because I've seen it happen where you have these great bands, and after about three weeks, everybody just hates each other. So, um, yeah, it was really, it was really nice the tour. And then the, the Simon thing was the same exact situation. All the just great turnouts. The album's just getting great reviews. Um, everybody in the band gets along with each other. I've never been in a band where literally everybody. You know, it's it's really like a close family type of situation. It's really fun to tour with that band, and the music is great because um, it is challenging, but it's challenging in really fun musical ways. So, you know, I have to sit up straight. It's not like playing with In Sync, where you could just show up, probably wasted, you know, or drunk <laughs> or hungover, <laughs> and still nail the parts. <laughs> you only have it's still nail. Yeah, um, no, you definitely have to be ready on this stuff and. And yet it's fun. What I really like about Simon's music is that unlike a lot of prog rock, um, it, it has a lot of funk elements to it. Oh, yeah, you know, he's absolutely. Got earn, you, know, you know what I mean? It's not, it's sort of like 
Dream Theater meets Earth, Wind, and Fire or something. It's, <laughs> that's, that's a great description. Yeah, I'm a huge Simon Phillips fan, too, and followed his work yeah. with, with groups like Toto for years, too. So Right. Um, but, yeah, that's that's... That's amazing! What an amazing, what an amazing uh, couple of tours. And I'm curious too, though. And it looks like we lost Dylan. He is currently in Thailand and has some dodgy uh, internet. So I see. Um, I hope we get him back. But anyway, the okay. Sorry about that. At any rate. No problem. Um, what I'm curious about, too, is with those tours, they were really close together. What was the preparation like and the practice? Because obviously you still have to rehearse, still have to practice some parts and things. What was that like sure. during during the tour? Uh, how, for example, how do you keep your chops up on tour um, or, or keep them fresh might be a better way to put it. Because obviously when you're playing every night and it just kind of you're, – you're still – comfortable but just trying to keep fresh ideas going and that sort of thing and then with these tours back to back what is that gonna what what was that transition like well it's a really good question you're asking because you're addressing the the, the you're sort of addressing a for me a kind of a, a fundamental issue with touring which is that it really it's really hard to practice on tour it's really hard to mm. move forward um you are practicing in a, in, you know, inadvertently different things. You know, playing live is its own kind of practice, and it's yeah. and it's good, but it's a, you know, you're honing a different kind of thing. It's not about uh, chops or 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 even you know nailing phrases exactly or timing. It's it's more. Um, I don't know what it is. It's it's more getting comfortable with your with your own playing, like understanding what really is what what you're really comfortable with that that's what live does it helps establish the difference between things that i'm practicing and things that i really know Sorry, guys. That, that i can really use you know um but when it comes to preparation yeah i got i got off my tour and i had maybe about a month and a half to get ready for his so uh luckily that's enough time even with some of the complicated parts I and mean, that's enough time to to get to get pretty prepared um, and that's really how I do it. I don't really read in a lot of these the guys that are in that band, like many uh, great players, they all read. Um, I suck at reading, so <laughs> I, I'm old school. You know, I gotta. I'm, I come from the world of we're gonna learn some ACDC tunes and, and practice in someone's basement until we get uh, the, until we're ready for a show. So I just kind of listen to stuff and until. Um, and then play along with it until I feel comfortable. Um, so a month and a half is certainly, you know, enough time for that. Yeah. Um, and my stuff was, uh, you know, most of it I kind of know, but, and I played with Jean-Luc many times and, and I played with Stu. I did Stu's tour the year before and there were actually some songs that we did on his tour that were mine, that we were both already familiar with. And there were songs that he did on his tour that I ended up letting him play on my tour. So th there was probably four or five songs that we had already played together with. So uh, my thing wasn't too too difficult. And there's a lot more room for improvisation in my particular show because we will try things and um, you know extend parts or add on parts. And it, it's not it's not quite as uh, structured and ensemble. You know, it's it's a little more free. Okay. And Simon's stuff tends to be a little more structured then? It's a little more structured. However, there's a lot of improv room within that structure. So in other words, there may be a solo section um, where, you know, there's an indefinite number of bars. And, I, you know, I just kind of give a cue when I'm done or the keyboard player gives a cue when he's done, when, when we're ready to wrap it up. And that's kind of fun because, it's, you know, if you're hitting strong one night and you're just feeling it, you can take an extra eight bars or 12 bars and, uh, and, it, and it feels right. Um, and even within some of the songs where, where there isn't, where there, where there is a structured sort of length, mm -hmm. there's still always room for improvisation. So, I mean, he's always encouraging improvisation, um, cool. in any of, in any of the sections that were not specifically written as, as part of the song. 
So a couple of uh, practice-oriented questions then for you. There's, mm -hmm. You've covered a bunch of topics here that yeah. I just kind of want to... So one of them just being this idea of improvisation. How do you recommend practicing getting comfortable with improvisation? Boy, that's another great question. There, These are... Um... These are questions that are, uh, you know, they're a little more abstract because they, you know what I mean. It's, it has to do with has to do with opinion and the creative process and subjectivity. But um, I mean, when I think about improvisation, uh, if you think of it as something like, you know, we're, you and I are having a conversation right now. Um, there's probably a bunch of sentences that I've already said and sentences you've already said that we've actually never specifically said before, but yet we've said so many things uh, similar and that, you know, it's easy to improvise what, you know, right now I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. So I, I'm improvising, but at the same time, um, it's all familiar words, familiar sentence structure. So in, with guitar, it's, it's no different. I don't find it to be any different other than, um, the, the you know to answer the question, I would just say you cannot practice improvise improv improvisation without actually improvising. It ha you have to you have to get in there and, and just do it. So I always recommend backing tracks or playing with other people or setting up a loop uh, station or, or just whatever it takes to you know it's pretty there's no excuses today because the internet has everything you could ever want <laughs> so, <Right. yeah. laughs> everything from backing, backing tracks, tracks to yeah. being able to create your own loops yeah exactly. exactly i mean you can buy a looper pedal for 50 bucks like for 50 bucks exactly you, know, you can you know tempos and different keys and odd time signature anything you want to work on so really that's what i recommend i um i recommend for people that if you have a vision, a sort of auditory vision about how you picture yourself sounding in an improvised situation, then uh, then just start practicing doing that. I mean, if I'm to be a little bit more specific, mm -hmm. um, I will say this, and this is a, a big thing that for me, because I know that your your it seems like your podcast really does want to focus on sort of. The, the way that guitars guitarists think and and not just so much gear and, and uh, yeah absolutely things. it's it's the thought process it's uh how do, right. how do we become better musicians how do we become better sure. guitarists so one of the things that i think a lot of musicians do i don't want to say wrong but do differently than i would recommend hmm. is that the academic world kind of puts a lot of emphasis on scales and on certain licks and certain concepts that were used by the greats. And uh, this, you know, so everybody sort of has this idea that there's a right way to do it. And I, I tend not to think that. I mean, obviously there are, mm. there are great suggestions and there are things that have, are really musical that people have discovered. And obviously music theory has a, uh, you know, there's a, sort of mathematical um, beauty in within that, that that can lead to great ideas. But um, what I used to do when I, when I really started to notice myself starting to get better at, at, with improvisation, it came from literally uh, just sit, sitting there and, and not even playing the guitar, just listening to a backing track or listening to the radio or anything and just truly, truly imagining the ideal solo that I would want to hear in my mind and just listening to what that sounds like. And so some of the best improvisation that I've ever had is, is comes in my mind when I don't have a guitar with me. Mm. And once I'm singing these parts in my mind or I'm playing these looks in my mind what I'll notice is that certain there are certain reoccurring themes there are certain things that keep coming back to me like ah you know I just heard this thing that goes like whatever it is and 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 I'm like if that keeps showing up so now what I need to do is I should go to the guitar and learn how to do something like that learn how to play what I'm hearing or at least learn how to play something that sort of represents what I'm hearing or sounds kind of like that. Mm 
so that the next time it actually shows up in my mind, I have access to it. I actually have the ability mm. to play it. And I think that's where a lot of guys go wrong. Not wrong, but what I notice with a lot of guitar players is that their fingers, their scales, their shapes are kind of dictating for them how the guitar should be played, as opposed right. to them figuring the stuff out in their minds and then going to the fretboard to figure out how how to make that you know how to make what's in their mind uh, come off the fretboard. Greg Howe, ladies and gentlemen, what a what a great guy. Um, Stay tuned for know, next week. Exactly, and. Uh, Actually, going to give you some homework for next week. Listen to his latest album. It's called Wheelhouse. Came out last year. It is bitching. It's really, really good. It's stunning. Absolutely stunning album. And it's fun as well. You know, it's not. It's not too in your face. It yeah, is a little bit, but in the yeah, right way. We, we talked about it with him too, and he said it was it was one of his most fun albums to make. And I think I think that says something too. When even the artist is like, you know what? I've had ones in the past that have been okay, but this one was. This one was really good. So yeah, no, we will we'll discuss a little bit more about what he said next week, and we'll kind of uh, give our thoughts on his points. But for now, it's time for John. What have you been working on? What have I been working on? So I received an invite to go play some guitar at my undergraduate university here, and so I've been kind of brushing up on a few things. Cool. A lot of my classical chops. Um, playing. What are you gonna play? Uh, well, it's a piece by, oh, I'm going to mess up his name, but uh, it's called Polyphemo d'Oro or d'Oro or something. Anyway, it means the golden cyclops. Um, wow. But essentially, it's a, it's a four pieces. It was written for a poet, and the idea was the, the poet had these these pieces that sort of about the guitar, and that's what this was so but it's a contemporary piece and uh, i'm also going to look up exactly how to pronounce the guy's name but it's uh yeah i always get it wrong because it's reginald smith brindle and i always say it reginald brindle smith but anyway yes of course (laughs) anyway yeah right (laughs) so but it's, I, I really enjoy the piece. There's a lot going on with it, but it's, it's just, it's fun. It's contemporary. It's got a lot of weird chords, which I'm all about weird chords. But yeah, there you have it. Yeah. That, and of course, the other regular things is trying to bring up some sweep picking. I've got a lot of students who are like, how do I sweep fast? Which that might be an interesting topic because it's not the right hand. It's all in the left hand. Sweeping is all in the left hand. But yeah, we can talk about that again. We can maybe talk about sweeping. It's a scary, it's, it's a, I think it's, it's not a dirty word, but it's an intimidating word. In yeah, yeah. Sweeping is interesting because it seems like sweep picking and uh, tapping are coming into a lot more popular music in one way or the other. Um, oh? Yeah. So, and that's uh, as conversation I had with Mark, he's the co-founder of Silver Sound Guitar with me. And uh, he's had a lot of students asking about these tapping parts in contemporary pop music. And it's like, huh. Really? Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting. It's kind of made a comeback. It's not nearly as fast as a lot of the stuff in the 80s, but it's there. And metal right now, in terms of the other side of metal, is going very technical. Yeah, so no, it's, 100%. It's, it's an interesting time to be playing guitar. So it's come back to that point. What have yeah. you been working on? Because okay. I want to ask you about this. <laughs> so. Yes. So yeah, talking about your um, your shredding and tapping, that makes a fitting segue into one of the things. I made a list of things I wanted to do with the guitar at the start of the year. Stuff I wanted to buy and you know gear wise and stuff I wanted to learn. And one of the things I really wanted to purchase just to try it out was a um, an online course. Uh, brought to you by Skillshare. Sorry, I'm so used to hearing that. <laughs> By the way, we are accepting sponsorship. We are indeed. We have a former Skillshare alumni in our ranks. Your teacher has a Skillshare course now, doesn't he? The great courses. Oh, great courses. Yeah. Dig, yeah. In, my, dig in my hole. Anyway, um, so I was going to buy, I went on YouTube and Chris Zupa, friend of the show, uh, said that he has released his newest ebook or physical book as an online course with Udemy. 
And I know that Udemy is supposed to be a pretty good place. I know Music is Win has his courses there. So I checked it out. And as soon as I logged on, it said that there was a 57% off Chris Zupa's course. So I got it for like 12 euro um, down from 30. So I hopped on that. And uh, it's called, for those who don't know, it's called Ultimate Tread Machine. Uh, I love the name. It's, 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 a ridiculous it's got a picture of like Chris Zupa as a Terminator or something. As a, as a Terminator robot. Yeah, it's great <laughs> wielding a guitar in like a dystopian future. Does he uh, really? yeah yeah you gotta look that up man i was just being silly but i was like no i really hope it is a picture of okay anyway i, I think right. we said i think in, we haven't we have an interview with him coming up soon um and he said that he wasn't going to pay four hundred dollars for him not to be a guitar wielding robot in the future um, <laughs> so uh i was kind of skeptical going in you know I, the whole online courses thing it never really struck you know i accord haha with me but i was really impressed with the whole udemy system it's great isn't it are you looking at the picture yeah it's not so much like a uh, terminator but it's kind of like uh what, like what's Frank. the thing that, that ripley uses in aliens oh um, yeah the mecha suit yeah, yeah yeah it looks a bit like that except instead of him he's like in an iphone or something so yeah it's but it's, it's, it's still uh, pretty epic definitely it's definitely, amazing. It. definitely biased it's very over the top. Um, so it's divided into four parts. It's divided into uh, shredding or alternate picking, um, legato, tapping, and sweeping. So I've started with the shredding part. And what, it, what he does is he basically, everything is discussed. What type of pick you should use, your string radius. And basically, it's now a bunch of kind of exercises on how to use them and how your pick should move when you're basically executing them and i find it's great i'm only i think there's like 153 exercises and i'm on number 24 25 and i'm just what i'm doing is i'm just kind of going back through everything from the start every day and seeing if i can play along but one of the good things about the udemy thing is you can see what fingering he's using mm. you can slow it down and you can bookmark stuff and uh, there's downloadable PDFs for all the exercises as well. So I'm loving it. Uh, he's taking like exercises based on Zach Wilde patterns and even like death lock patterns. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's, it's really, really cool. I can actually like some of the stuff is just it's kind of addictive, man. I haven't really sat down with stuff like that before, but when you can see your, like I've seen my speed build over the week um, with regards to things like not being able to play things at the start of the week and then getting them up to speed. And it's kind of addictive. I, I work at home now and I basically, you know, whenever I can take a five minute break, I can just reach for the guitar beside me. So it's um, living the dream. Uh, also, I have been, uh, I was like, I really want to improve my chicken picking because uh, I'm going to buy a compressor, compressor pedal soon. <laughs> and, uh, it's, I've gotten hooked on Johnny Highland. Oh yeah, uh, his videos. He is the nicest man in the world. He is the biggest Texan. And um, do you know he's legally blind? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. Heard that. I had no yeah. idea. And he just he just can shred all those chicken picking licks like a motherfucker. So I think he, he can still sort of see his guitar. But yeah, um, I watched yeah. his rig rundown, and is it is it is huge. He's like it's the biggest one pedal train make. Um, and it's wow. just different pedals. But he he um his stuff is really really cool i found a lesson with him on youtube which came with a downloadable pdf and um, so i got that and i've just basically been working on those uh just chicken picking like thirds the country stuff so i'm loving that I'm, I'm loving playing guitar right now it's a really good feeling um how about you uh, uh what do you what are you listening to what am i listening to well it, it was it's been kind of a lot i mean obviously when you're prepping classical stuff it's always good to go back and, and anything really before a show like if you're doing covers go back and see who else has played what and, and, what yeah. you, and what you don't. I'm a big fan of like, even, even if you're going for, you play in a wedding band or whatever, just listening and seeing like, I like what this person does here and that person. Does, yeah. here. I, I'm a fan of trying to cover things and not replicate things. But anyway, as much as possible. Or when you I can. like that. Yeah. <clears throat> so of course, going back and listening to Reginald Smith Brindle, um, but also kind of getting into going back. I've had a few, because I've had a few students ask about two hand tapping stuff, looking at some scale to summit. Chris Letchford has some pretty easy patterns to get into those two handed tapping things. And okay. so kind of going back and listening to their migration album, which I think for me is probably their, their best album. 
Um, they re- they released another one this year, but I still I find myself going back to their 2013 album in terms of generally speaking. I think that that has some of the most memorable material on it. But so if I'm starting with Scale of Some Other, I should start with that. Yeah, I think that's the best one. Um, the one before it tends to be a little bit meandering. And the one after it just doesn't quite have the same like hooks. So it's cool. poppy in a way, but it's not polyphia poppy. It's not soaking <laughs> baccarin. So if, if you want something that's listenable, but still has a bunch of cool shred stuff, I definitely recommend that one. What about you? What have you been listening to? I've, so I've been trying to like diversify what I've been listening to, but uh, I, I wanted to go back to an old blues album that I'd never heard. Um, the John Mayles Blues Breakers with Eric Clapton. Um, oh, wow. I don't know if you know anything about it. It's, it's basically just before uh, he, he formed Cream with Jack Bruce. He played on this album by John Mayle, who I'm not that familiar with as a songwriter, but he's this keyboard uh, piano player, singer. And man, Clapton, this was like, like let me just check the... Steve Mayo. I'm going to check the, the year because it is like way ahead of its time. Uh, Blues Breakers, John Mayo. It's, um, but man, it's, it's crazy. Like I, I have a, I have a love hate relationship with, with Clapton. Yeah. 1966. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's just so, so good. Um, uh, yeah. Clapton. I just, I always think of like fucking tears in heaven, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> and, you know, well, the Blues Breakers is interesting because they're kind of like the Yardbirds and they just had this like rotating series of just amazing guitar players. Now, they're definitely much more heavily blues guitar players than like the Yardbirds who had Page and uh, yeah. Who else was in the Blues Breakers? Back. Uh, you had Peter Green. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, of course. Peter Green um, also. Underrated. Yeah. Uh, Mick Taylor who's another one as well. He's great. But of course, yeah, Peter Green obviously went on to Fleetwood Mac. Um, and then Mick Taylor did a whole bunch of solo stuff as well. Um, he was with the Stones. Yeah. yeah, he was with the Stones, exactly. So he, he had kind of a, a break there. Uh, he played with the, the Blues Breakers there. Actually, here it is on the Wikipedia. So he played with the Blues Breakers from 67 to 69, and he joined the Stones in 69. So cool. Yeah, so obviously, you know, they just, they, he had this rotating blues guitarist thing, whereas you had all these innovators coming through the Yardbirds. Not that any of these guys, not that you can't be an innovator and play the blues, but I think you know what I mean. Like, Jeff Beck is not a blues player. No, he can, but he he, he doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, that's kind of, I've been listening to that maybe three or four times this week, and yeah, I really like it. I'm like, oh, I got to steal some of those those licks. Some good Uh, licks in there, man. That's such a good album. I haven't listened to it in a while, but I think that's going to go on my rotation this week. That's a good call. Sweet as. So, friends, that is our show. We are going to have Greg Howe part two next week. Um, tweet at us, Gmail us, uh, Facebook us. Let us know what you're thinking of the show. If you have any feedback, what kind of pickups do you play and why? And, yeah, uh, yeah this was a lot of fun, John. I will see you next week. Hooray! Hooray! Stay sharp.